Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, officially, Shabbat Shalom to each of you. Good to see all of you. It's been warm out. Uh, Today's supposed to be the hottest day of the year, but forget that. Let's focus, all right? I want to share from uh, really using the parashah, the Torah portion today, and uh, realizing that Jordan was going to share, my message will be briefer than usual, but... We are going to cover a lot more in the Shabbaton uh, about the portion. Uh, the reason why I want to speak on the Shalach Lecha or the, this week's Torah portion is that, honestly, when you look at it, it is a critical passage for the history of Israel. And let me remind you a little bit that this week's portion, most of it, at least at two full chapters, covers the incident of the 12 spies. If you are looking at an Israeli calendar, they're one week ahead of us. The Torah reading for the diaspora for the Galut is one week less. And most of us, uh, do, we do follow here uh, the, the dispersion or the diaspora, the Galut calendar. So this, this week's portion about the 12 spies is captivating. And let me ask you, and just so I get a sense of, of our, our, our baseline here, how many of you know the story of the 12 spies? Go ahead, raise your hand. Wave it proudly. All right, good. Good. Hello to each of you, by the way. <laughs> but this, is, this was such a critical passage and uh, event that we need to cover it, I think, carefully. So we'll begin here, and then we'll follow through, God willing, in the Shabbaton. So Numbers chapter 13 tells us a lot of information, particularly Numbers 13 and 14, deal with the incident of the 12 spies. And we should almost be cued or tipped off right away when we see the amount of detail that's given in the Torah about this incident. We should be cued, tipped off that this is an important incident. There's a, there are a lot of details given. And the, the narrative, the, the story of the 12 spies, I think is quite captivating. And as you're reading it, and we'll summarize some of it here today, as you're reading it, you can almost place yourself, as is often the case with biblical narrative, you can almost place yourself back there and begin to feel it a little bit of what it must have, must have been like. I mean, think about what that incident must have, can I use the term, felt like to, to Moses. 
And to the 12 spies, and particularly 10 of the 12 had one particular direction. They went with their spying, and the other two went a different direction. But in Numbers chapter 13, beginning verse 17, we'll begin to lay out a bit of what happened. First of all, the 12 spies had been given a commission, a commission to go in and to spy out the land. Hence, we call them the 12 spies. Meraglim is one term that's used for that. And they were given not only a commission, but they were given specific instructions of things they were to look for. For example, we can compare it if you were going on a trip to Niagara Falls. Someone who's been to Niagara Falls might say, well, when you're there, be sure to notice how high the falls are. Or notice how much mist comes off of the falls. Well, in this case, Moses hadn't been to the land of promise. He hadn't been to that place, so he gave them some instructions that would have been general preparation for entering into that land. And not just entering in like as a family, but literally hundreds of thousands of people. And how many know it's a little different traveling by yourself? If you're traveling with thousands of people, ask anyone who's ever led a tour to Israel, and they'll tell you it's a little easier when you go on yourself or with your family than when you have two busloads of people that you have to, in a sense, uh, mentor along the way. But in Numbers chapter 13, it, it begins in verse 17. We'll pick it up at least here. Moshe sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, And here's what he said to them. He said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Next statement is pretty interesting. He says, Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. It continues in Numbers chapter 13, verse 21. It says this as the narrative continues So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Tzin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And it continues in verse 25 of Numbers 13, and it further states, which means, and they returned from spying out the land. The English translates a little different than the Hebrew. From spying out the land after 40 days. So in those passages I just read, you realize 12 folks are sent out, They're given a specific commission. Is the land good? Is it bad? Bring back some of the fruit there, etc. They're told how to go up, to go up through the southern route because, you know, um, there were different ways they could have gone. So they're told to go up through the southern route and we're told in Numbers 13, verse 25 that they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And I don't know what happens to you when you see the term 40 days or 40 years, but I always think in terms of testing. (laughs) I don't know why. I guess there's a biblical precedent for it. 
So up to this point that we've read so far, as we go through this briefly, Numbers chapter 13 up to verse 25, the 12 spies are presented in the Torah up to this point as being so far obedient to commission. They're told to go up, they're told how to go up, and they're told what to look for. So far, so good. But they really haven't arrived yet in the land. They went, they spied out the land after 40 days, and they come back. And if you're familiar with this story, you realize that, or you know that the worst is yet to come in this narrative. So as the 12 spies recounted, they came back after 40 days, and as they recounted what they saw in Canaan, only two of the 12, two of them, their names are familiar to us, Yehoshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, only these two of the 12 brought a, what we would call a good report. That means that the other 10 did not bring a good report. They brought what the English translation calls a bad report. They brought a bad report. So we read in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, that they come back, they bring the report, and then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, here's what he said. He said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. So there's Caleb's initial statement. Boy, that's quite a statement considering all he had seen as one of the 12 spies, all he had seen, there would have been much, much that could have discouraged him from saying things like that. But again, he says, he quiets the crowd. He cries the people before Moses, and he says, let us go up. And then notice he says, at once. Let us go up at once, and let us take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. And we see from this and other texts that involve Caleb, as we call him in English, that he was a man who trusted God. He was also a man who looked to God, and he was a person who seemed to rely on God. And by the way, how would each of us like to have those traits? I think we would. We'd want to be people that trust God. We want to be people that look to God. We want to be people that rely on God. And in a nutshell, that's how Caleb was. And he was diligent. And a good report that comes forward through Caleb and then eventually through Joshua, a good report is actually the spiritual overflow or the outworking of a heart of faith and trust that's directed towards the Lord. You know, if our heart is directed towards the Lord, our life will be, as it were, a living good report. For example, we can proclaim to others through our life. We're called living epistles in the Brit Chadashah in the New Covenant. Through our lives, we can show a good report to others that it's good to follow the Lord. That He is, as we sang today, He is merciful. He's kind. He's just. He's true. He's faithful. And all the other superlatives and adjectives we can use to describe the Lord, which frankly seem to fall short of His great glory and who He really is. He's well beyond even what we can how we could describe him. So a good report is usually the spiritual outworking of a heart of faith or trust that's directed towards the Lord. And think about your own life. How often have we been people that 
get distracted, that become discouraged, that overemphasize maybe some of our circumstances rather than the eternal realities of God's provision for us. And Caleb seemed to, in all that he faced as one of the spies, he seemed to be above that. Now, I want to compare what we just said about Caleb with Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him, with Caleb, here's what they said. You remember what Caleb said? He said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. And the men that went up with him said this, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And then in one of the critical statements in the Torah concerning Israel, and what would be of great impact to the Jewish people in general at that time, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. And this is what they said, the text tells us. They said, quote, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, the Anakim. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. I think you would agree with me in just our brief overview here that what Caleb presented versus what the other spies presented, very different, very different. And here the text says that when the people heard the report of the ten spies, the bad report, they reacted in a manner that, as we know historically, they reacted in a manner that was, uh, a manner that was greatly displeasing to the Lord. And this, I'll suggest to you, this particular event helped set the stage for what happens with Korah. Numbers 14, verse 1 says this. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So there's weeping in the camp that night. They heard the bad report. They heard what Caleb said. They heard what the ten other spies said. They will hear what Joshua has to say, which will resonate with what Caleb had to say. And when the congregation, they lifted up their voices and they cried and the people wept that night. And verse 2 of Numbers chapter 14, and all the children of Israel complained. They complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. And then there's one of the biggest question words of life. Why? Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And then there's this. So they said to one another, notice it's to one another. They said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. 
I'll suggest to you, it's a bit of an aside here today, but that when people start reacting and acting like that, there's always someone ready to step into that type of a situation and take the reins. In this case, it'll be Korach and a group of over 200 Anshe Shem men of reputation that will step in and begin to try to take the reins of leadership and eventually challenge Moses. Now, they've said many things. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They said all these things and more. As the people heard the bad report and they chose, they chose to focus on the bad report rather than to hear that still small voice or that lone voice, if you would, of Caleb, which will be followed and supplemented soon in the narrative by the voice of Joshua. Now, there's several principles, I think, that are revealed in this narrative that are important for us. And I think we would be wise to understand them. For example, number one, considering how the children of Israel reacted, and they start complaining in Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 1 that I just read, please understand this principle. Your words and your ways impact other people. How many of you realize that? Your word and your ways, your words and your ways impact other people. And here's a second thing. This is really important. God is aware as he will be and as he'll show himself in this narrative, he is aware of our words and our ways. We may think that, well, I'm talking behind closed doors and it's just me and a couple trusted friends, but he is fully aware of these things. He knows these things. He's aware of our words and our ways. And number three, if you are too focused on temporal things, you may miss eternal matters altogether. Because when we get so focused on temporal things, and that's what happens here with the children of Israel, they heard a bad report and they got focused on some of the details that were given, which, by the way, were not actually accurate. They said that all that people we saw were on Akeem. They were all giants. Well, I don't know. Was that really true? I doubt it. <laughs> there's always, and I, don't look at me, I know you're all looking at me now, but there's always one short one among us. <laughs> so there was some exaggeration, and they tend to believe it. They, they went the wrong direction in where they were placing their trust. And number four here, you may not agree with others in the community. For example, did you notice they said, basically, let's select another leader. And why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? You may not always agree with others in the community, but you have no commission to cause division among the brethren. Did you hear that? There's absolutely no divine commission to cause disunity in the body of Messiah. Now, this is such a grave issue to the Lord, this last one, such a grave issue to the Lord that it is listed as one of the seven things that God hates. 
And that's the right word. The scripture says he hates these things. I want to remind you, it's in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. There's some things God absolutely, he hates these things. And my suggestion to all of us is that we're as far away as possible from anything in this list. But here's that list. These six things the Lord hates, Proverbs chapter 6, begin with verse 16. Yes, seven are, notice the phraseology here. Seven are an abomination to him. So you have these two strong statements, hate and abomination. How many of you agree that's about as strong as it gets in the Torah or in the Scripture, in the Tanakh? These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Here they go. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Five of those are characteristics, and two of those are actually people, describe people. One is a false witness, and the second is one who sows discord among brethren. A case can be made concerning the ten spies. When you carefully look at this list of seven things the Lord hates, a case can be made that at least five of these things the ten spies did in this situation that we're referring to in Numbers chapter 14, 13. Five of these seven things that the Lord hates can be pegged to the spies and the community. That's serious business. And I've heard it said, well, that's what it said way back then in the Old Testament, and we're under a different thing now. Let me assure you that the new covenant is at least as strong about these matters, and it it keeps repeating it. Well, let me give you an example. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Rob Shul writes to Titus, and he says, this is a faithful saying. You can count on this. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, he writes to Titus, that those who have believed in God, and then it says this, should be careful to do what? To maintain good works. Another way to say that, one way, there's a few others, is to make sure you're doing what's right in the sight of the Lord. Continues in verse 8 of Titus 3, these things are good and profitable to men. And then verse 9 serves sort of as a warning, almost like signposts for us, that we need to be careful in certain areas. Number one, but avoid foolish disputes. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but have you ever gotten into a foolish dispute with someone? Even about what seemed like a good topic. It continues, but avoid foolish disputes. And the very second thing is DNA, you know, uh, genealogies. Then contentions. And then this one, strivings about the Torah. For they are unprofitable and the word, the language is, is very strong. You can look it up in the Greek. Very strong statements. These are unprofitable and 
useless. And then verse 10 is even stronger. It says, reject, it's one of the commandments of the new covenant, by the way, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. And then it describes the situation. Knowing that such a person is warped (laughs) and sinning, being self-condemned. Proverbs 6 says, The Lord hates certain things, uh, one who speaks lies, one who sows discord among brethren. Titus 3 and Romans 16 and other passages says, just as strong terminology for the new covenant. In other words, rejected device of man after the first and second admonition. And Yeshua said in Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, he said, in comparison with certain sins, he said, woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So people who place their trust in the Lord, who continually look to the Lord regardless of the situations that they're facing, they're continually looking to the Lord despite the situations that may be in their life. And people who rely on the Lord to be their ever-present help in time of need will inevitably bring what our text informs us or calls a good report. Those who are trusting in the Lord, your life will be a good report. In Numbers 14, we are told that Moshe and Aaron, when they heard how the people were reacting, they complaining, and all that we just read in Numbers 14, the first few verses, Moses and Aaron did what they've done many times. And what's recorded numerous times in the scripture, they enter up in leadership. It says that they fell on their faces when they heard the complaining that was going on. It's as if they knew a line was being crossed and they didn't want any part of it. And in fact, thankfully, as we read the text, there's a great ray of hope because they intercede for the people. And they cry out to God in behalf of the people Yeah, as we will find out as we look at Numbers chapter 14, Joshua speaks up in verse 6. says, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Yephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, when they heard what the people were saying, when they heard the bad testimony, you know what they did? They tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And it's very different from the evil report. It's an exceedingly good land, verse 8 of Numbers 14. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. In verse 9, and what an appeal this is. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. (laughs) Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. It's amazing what spiritual insight Joshua had. 
And it's also amazing, considering what Torah says and repeated in the Berit Hadashah, that in the mouth of two or three is every word established. And it was one thing for Caleb to stand up and speak again, bring forth a good report. But then there's Joshua, two leaders. Remember, they were such leaders that they were two of the 12 that had been chosen to be the spies. And in the mouth of two or three is every matter established. It continues after the responses of Joshua, the response of Joshua. And after the other responses of the people that we read in the beginning of Numbers 14, we come to a watershed event, Numbers 14, verse 10. And in this event, in this verse, we see that there are two responses that come. One is the people's response to Joshua's word and then the Lord's response to Joshua's testimony. In Numbers 14, verse 10, it says, And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. The very next verse, and it's one of the great contrasts of Scripture. On one hand, the people are saying, stone these guys with stone, probably referencing, I think, referencing Joshua and Caleb and those of that same mentality. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And in the very next verse, it says, now the glory of the Lord appeared in a tabernacle meeting before all the children of Israel. And in verse 10 begins and says, all the congregation. Verse 10 ends, all the children of Israel. Eventually, God, God made his decision about the consequences connected to the people's complaining the consequences connected to their rebellion. And if you recall the Torah narrative, this was not the first time these things happened. In fact, it's becoming a running story in the Torah narrative of the complaining, the, the desire that we need to go back, we need to go back to Egypt. This thought that's being vocalized now in this text, we, we need a new leader, we need new leaders. All that's coming forward. And God, Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 30, 34, God responds. You know who has the final say in all matters? What is his name? Our Messiah, Yeshua. He has the final say. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And Numbers 14, Adonai responds in verse 34. He says, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, and again, he reminds them it was 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year. And many have wondered, why did they wander for 40 years? Here's one of the answers. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and then there's this statement, and it's powerful. And you shall know my rejection. The concept there, the idea is my presence will be farther away from you. I don't know how your life is, but what the psalmist said is absolutely true. The nearness of God is our good. And through Messiah, he wants us to enter into a close personal relationship with him and it continues in verse 35. 
I, the Lord, have spoken this. <laughs> I will surely do so to all the evil, all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men who Moses sent to spy out the land in verse 36 of Numbers 14, who returned and made all the congregation and complained against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. Verse 38, again a great verse of contrast. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Yephunneh remained alive. Of the men who went to spy out the land, twelve went and two remained alive. And those were the two that brought the good report. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. They do even more afterwards, which we'll cover in Shabbaton. But they mourned greatly. Now, the incident of the 12 spies was one of the defining moments of Israel's history. You know, you can say, and, and with that, without fear of contradiction, you can say that after this event, things were never the same. We have a whole generation that's decreed you're not going to enter in. You have a whole generation that's going to, in a sense, sense the distance of the Lord upon them. And things change. Our, I, I want to conclude here with just offering you three passages from the New Covenant that I believe speak for themselves, and if you carefully consider, they apply to this circumstance. And please just listen to them. I'm not going to comment on them. But please just listen to these three New Covenant passages. And I, I think that as we hear what the New Covenant says, the Brit Chadashah says, uh, we realize what's written in the Torah, which we're told in the New Covenant, was written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. That what we read there also has application through the New Covenant to the body of Messiah. So here's the first of three passages of Scripture. These are my concluding points. Let me just read it to you. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Second conclusion, Hebrews, the book of Messianic Jews, chapter 13, verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And third con concluding point, 1 Yohanan chapter 5, beginning with verse 11 and also verse 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Will you pray with me? 
for those that are staying for Shabbaton, we will go further into this. And it's very difficult to cover a few chapters of incredibly detailed text uh, in, in this type of a setting, but we'll continue on in, in uh, Shabbaton. Let's pray. Lord, how we praise you this day. And we marvel at your great wisdom. And we marvel at your power. We marvel at your omniscience and that everything is laid bare before you with whom we have to do. Lord, please help us to be people of good report whose lives exemplify a good report to those around us. Please help us, Lord, to be individuals who've set our heart upon you and your kingdom, who set our focus upon you and your will, who placed in the highest position of importance in our lives, fulfilling your will and your commission for our lives. Lord, we ask that at this time that you will continue to strengthen your body across the face of the earth, whether it's the far reaches of Asia or the Pacific or Africa or Latin America or Central America. Lord, that you would raise up individuals of good report whose lives present a good report of you and your goodness and mercy. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you gave it to us that we might gain instruction from it. Help us not to fall into the pitfalls that happened to so many that we read about in the Torah and in the scriptures. Blessed be your name. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.